Hey guys, Kyle here with the Building Automation Drive. And uh, it's been a little while, uh, it's been a week or two or so, and uh, I wanted to talk to you guys today about security. Now, within building automation, security can mean a, a couple of things. And I'm not talking about the locks on the doors. Uh, I, I'm also not talking about the guys running around with guns in your building or anything like that. What I'm talking about is cybersecurity as it relates to building automation. And I find there, there tends to be a good bit of confusion on this topic and a lack of urgency uh, on the part of, of most building operators and most everybody actually within the building automation industry uh, on the necessity for a good cybersecurity and incident response plan. Uh, so let's look at, uh, so I want to take a use case of, of a, a fellow I ran into at a former employer. And this guy was probably, I'm going to say he was probably the most astute building operator I have had, I, I've had the opportunity to work with thus far. Now, uh, this guy was really sharp. And, um, you know, he, he knew his stuff. And so we got to talking about it a little bit. And he said, Heck, what do I care if my system gets hit by ransomware? He's like, yeah, it'll be a pain. But he said he can just shut down all of his controllers, put everything that he needs in hand, order from us, the controls company, uh, a, a, a whole suite of new controllers. And he keeps his backups uh on on a thumb drive that he keeps in his desk drawer so they're not his his backups assuming that he pulled the backups before the ransomware was installed um his backups are clean they're off network and he can just go around and start loading them back up and the fact of the matter is he's right he can do that now it's is that expensive sure you know uh, let's take uh What's this building got? It's been a little while since I've been in there. I'm going to say, let's just say they have 10 Jaces. All right. So 10 Jaces at however, <laughs> however much a Jace costs, that's a lot of money. You know, I mean, that, that adds up fast. And if that, if that had to, anything to do with any other controllers, then that's bad. That's expensive. Is it more or less expensive than the ransom? Um, now this can get in quickly into a, a whole uh, a whole discussion on whether you should pay ransoms to ransomware or not. And I generally am of the belief that you shouldn't. Uh, you know, I'm kind of fundamentally uh, opposed to paying ransoms, but I understand why some organizations do it. So. Let's just say you get a $5,000 ransom. Well, that, that does not take long to rack up a $5,000 bill uh, within when you're having to replace controllers and whatnot. So, but he's right. He's kind of fundamentally right. Now, where I disagree with him uh, is that he's assuming a lot. 
Um, first of all, he's assuming that it's going to be ransomware. And secondly, he's assuming that everything is going to work perfectly. How long is he going to be without his controllers before uh, we're able to get more? How long and, and how much is that going to affect his clients? So, you know, you, you think of the tenants in his building, they're paying for services. So now you're potentially getting into lost revenue times. If he's down for three days, uh, maybe, maybe things work marginally well. Maybe they don't. Um, if he's down for three days and his whole building basically wants a refund for those three days, now we've just got really expensive. So that's assuming a malware attack. Now, what if it's just a malicious actor of some kind getting into your system? And you say, well, who would want into my system? It's just a little piddly building automation system. Yeah, well, so I'm thinking uh, this particular building that I'm thinking of houses several law firms. It houses one of the largest tech companies in the world has an office in there. And, um, and I mean like top five companies in the world kind of, kind of, kind of company has an office in there. So what if somebody's just poking around and figures out their way into this building and they can control it. They can take over the controls or they can see what's going on or all kinds of things. They now have access to seeing what's going on inside of those offices. And you're like, well, who cares? I'll tell you who cares. The people who occupy those spaces care. They do not want their information leaked out. What, what information you're asking? Occupancy. They don't want to know when they're being occupied. They don't want other people to know when they're being occupied. You know, uh, uh, Dell doesn't want, uh, I don't know, I was about to say IBM, but IBM barely makes computers anymore. Um, you know, Apple doesn't want Microsoft knowing when they're occupied because they're normally occupied from... 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. But now they're ramping up. They got a big product release coming out. And so they're occupied 24 hours a day. Well, that lets the competition know, hey, these guys are up to something. Um, maybe control of spaces. They know when there's a big conference in the big conference room. And they can tell how many people are in there. That can be an indicator that something's up. And companies don't want that information to get out. Conversely, it gives a competitor, uh, you know, if, if Microsoft can hack into Apple's building automation system and turn up the heat in the big conference room where they're discussing the acquisition of another company, can Microsoft maliciously uh, uh, hinder the the negotiations the trade talks there maybe 
you know, I mean, that's that's a big deal. Um, another thing is that uh, somebody could want to break into that building. So you get into the building automation system and you figure out how all the packets work, blah, 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 all the hacker stuff, and you increase the building static pressure from 0 0.05 inches to 0 0.2 inches of water column. That's a big change. However, it's a big change that's not going to set off any alarms. I mean, unless, of course, you set an alarm for that, um, which most people don't, uh, strangely enough. But let's say that you just increase that pressure. What's going to happen? Well, now the night cleaning people are going to come out. And they're going to throw the trash out into the dumpster in the, in the back of the building. And you're going to be standing there watching. And as they walk in and they go about their day with their headphones on, and they never hear the door click because the door didn't click. The door stayed open because you increased the building pressure and the door stands open. So you just walk up and walk right in. Pretty cool, huh? Now, the other side of this, we can be even more malicious about this. We can increase building pressure to a point that it blows windows out. And uh, that that has happened. Um, not uh, not that I know of from a malicious standpoint, but accidentally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the most spectacular things usually happen accidentally. Um, so these are all things that are an issue from the building automation side with cybersecurity. It, the other side of this is there's a potential um, to just utilize the building automation system to get into a network and what we call pivot over to another system and start accessing other things uh, like payroll or financial stuff, all kinds of things. Uh, and that's a big deal too. Companies do not like malicious actors getting inside of their systems and doing anything. Uh, and if your building automation system was the pivot point, then they're going to be upset with you. So what can you do about it? That's the big thing, is what can you do about this? And the answers are actually pretty simple. Uh, so first things first, don't have default passwords. So don't use, uh, I'm going to make something up and use... Uh, a username of Siemens on your Siemens system and a password of login or password. <laughs> um, don't use password as your password. And change that up. Put something different in there. Now, th this tips us off into another crazy rabbit hole of what should constitute a good password. And what I've seen more often than not is the use of a corporate, uh, a company password. So your company, uh, Joe's Controls, uses the password or the username Joe, Joe Control and a password of Joe Knows. One, two, three. I don't know. Yeah, but something like that, or or better yet, they use this the uh, the 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 number from your the address of the office. Yay! 
nobody will ever figure that out. So if that's your username and password and you use it on every system you install across across the 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 you know your area of operation every building you've ever done that is not secure because the first time that that password and user gets out uh gets figured out then they have access to everything you've ever done that is not what you want uh I was also I was at a client uh, doing doing client training uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't remember the password, the username and password to log into their system. And there was uh, someone there being a little snarky and made some kind of comment of, huh, well, can't even remember the, the username and password that you put in there, huh? Nope. No, I can't. Why? Because, first of all, I don't care. I'm not going to get into this so much that I need to know it. And I'm not committing the mental bandwidth and, and storage space, as it were, to recall that particular username and password to get on their workstation. Uh, I, I, I was on there when I set it up. I was on there when I was on site. And I will probably have to make a return visit soon um, just for a little follow-up. And I might have to get on to it then. Otherwise, I will probably never, ever touch it ever again. So what do I care? You know, and the other side of that is it shouldn't be the same thing every place I go. It should be something new everywhere I go. But this creates a problem because how do you remember the passwords from every single place you ever go. I mean, you know, it, it's really, really easy to have 30 to 40 active clients that you, that you'll see in the course of uh, a six month period, maybe, you know, that's 30 to 40 plus potentially unique usernames and passwords. So of course the solution is, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be snarky myself here and say, uh, well, you just have a, an Excel spreadsheet that's uh, that's called client passwords. And you save that on your shared drive. That's okay. Ish. It's not ideal because what you're doing there is you're now throwing that document in with everything else and opening it up to everyone else in your company potentially and uh you're also opening you're subjecting it to the security standards of whatever your company has which most most bas companies that i've seen are pretty low on this hence the conversation we're having right now they don't tend to care about cybersecurity very much so you know that's okay-ish. Uh, the other thing is that you're going to probably take that list and save it onto your laptop because you aren't connected to your network, your office network very often. You're out in the field, you're doing stuff, you're working for a living. Uh, and, and dialing in via VPN and whatnot is, is time consuming and not easy to do, not even possible sometimes. So what I like, a better solution that I like is to get a password manager. And I really love 
my password manager. Uh, I use LastPass, and I highly recommend it. There are others out there, uh, Dashlane and Keeper, and uh, I think OnePass is another one. There's some good ones. I have spent the most time on LastPass. Um, I researched this for a, for a research paper uh, in my security class, and found a lot of them, and they all seem pretty good. So I don't, the only reason I favor LastPass is because I started with them and I spend the most time with them um, and that's it. So, and LastPass gives me nothing. I pay for a subscription with them. I pay for a, a family subscription with them. So what I do is I don't know any of my passwords. Like I know my password into my laptop and I know my password into LastPass, which it's a long one. Um, let's see, I'm gonna do the count here, ready? It is 19 characters long, okay? So I use a 19 character long password for getting into LastPass. And yes, I just made that easier for you to hack. However, you have to know what email that I used for that. You have to then be able to crack a 19 character long password that uh, I change periodically. Um, not super often, but uh, it, it happens once in a great while. And you have to have a physical second factor authentication token to get into my password manager. So go for it, I guess. Um, but at any rate, what I use LastPass for is everything. I use it for everything I do. So Tritium University. Um, Tritium University is free. If you're going to touch Tritium in the future, you use it now, et cetera, et cetera. Get on Tritium University and go through all of the free stuff that they offer. Uh, it, it's also an opportunity to sign up for um, in-person training and, and some more intensive paid training online and whatnot. But they got a lot of stuff available online. At any rate, so Tritium University, I get on there and I put the extension, uh, the, the LastPass extension into my web browser. And so when I log into Tritium University, I go in there and I type in my email address. And if this is the first time I'm doing it, I'm setting up a new account. I type in all of my information and there's a little in that dialog box where I type in the password, there's a little button there. And it generates a password of a complexity level that I've predetermined. So I think I've got it set to like 22 characters and it uses caps and lowercase and special characters and numbers and whatnot. And it just automatically generates a password for me. And then it also puts it into the confirm box, which is fantastic. And then it says, hey, um, saw that you auto-generated this. And do you want me to save it with this username to this and this website? Why, yes, I do. Thank you. Okay. And I'm done. Um, and then the next time I go in, I can access the LastPass extension. And I can just have it auto-fill those, those boxes for me. It's fantastic. So 
no, I don't remember my password. I don't know my password into Tritium University. I don't care. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself, but what if I have to get onto a computer or something that doesn't have that? Well, I just happen to have the LastPass app on my phone, and so I can, I can access my passwords, and I can type them out if I have to, and I can go from there. Now, how does this come back to our building automation systems? Well, assuming Tritium, Tritium makes you change the password immediately upon logging in, um, which is good, which is very good. I wish uh, more companies would do that. So I'm going to be at, I'm, I'm working for company ABC Controls. And so for a username, we always use ABC Control. And for a password, I'm going to maybe have LastPass generate a password for me. But you're thinking to yourself, wait, they can do that in, in Niagara? No, no, they can't. But I can do it on my phone. I can sit there on my phone and I can say, hey, generate me a password. And I can then type that in and I can automatically, I can then assign that password to a file name. So it's uh, Bank of America downtown building. And I can then put in ABC control as my username and the automatically generated passwords already there. And I can save that. And now anytime I'm there, I can pull that up. Uh, if they have more than one Jace, um, I can start sorting them by IP address and I can put them in a folder for that building. Uh, I can also create custom forms that allow me to save under one Jace you know, Jace number one has this as its primary uh, primary port, IP address, and uh, user and password for the and, and the secondary IP address and the password for the platform and the station. That's pretty awesome, and I can make those just randomly generated so that they're unique to every single station in the building. Now, this is a pain in the butt the first time around because your users are, if you're allowing your users to get into these systems, um, that's going to be a, a drag for them. And then they're just going to say, remember this user and password, and then they're never going to mess with it again. <laughs> so... Um, you know, it doesn't really make it super secure from that standpoint. And I, that's one of my things that I, I go hot and cold on with, uh, with the Niagara framework is the, the password management on their side as well. I would much rather see them have an extension uh, capability with somebody like LastPass that requires you to log into LastPass to get your passwords for Niagara. That would be fantastic. Um, I don't think they're going to do that anytime soon. Although it is a topic that I've brought up with the uh, the uh, chief technology officer of Tritium, and uh, you know he thought it was interesting, but that was pretty much where the discussion stopped. <laughs> so uh, I, I think I think this is all manageable. 
and oh with with LastPass, you can have a corporate uh, an enterprise account and everybody in your company can have access to essentially their own LastPass account so they can store their own stuff in there but then you can share folders across the entire team uh, if you if you want if you need so it's doable is it is it more difficult yeah absolutely it's a little more difficult and this is where we fall back to uh, the old ben franklin uh ben franklin uh, quote that uh let's see if i get it right here uh, those who would trade freedom or liberty for security will lose both and deserve neither well convenience and security they're kind of mutually exclusive in a way. It's it's hard to have complete security and total convenience. That's really, really hard to do. Um, in fact, I would go so far as to say it might actually just be impossible. So there are trade-offs there. And as technology goes on, the need for security is growing, but the ability to do it conveniently is is growing as well and so you know to have a unique password and user or whatever on every platform and every station in a building would have been very difficult just uh just three or four years ago and now with these password managers it's much much easier i mean if you have if you're using the same password and username for all of your stuff like your online banking and your Facebook account and your Twitter account and um, whatever else it is that you get on online, then you need help. You need a password manager now. And you need to, you need to change that. That is a very bad habit because as soon as your bank gets hacked and that happens what like on a weekly basis now there's some other financial institution that 500,000 users 2 million users uh information stolen what that means is that they now have some malicious actor has the username that you use to log into your account they have your account number and they have your password so you say oh uh you know bank of canada i don't know uh, they got, they got attacked and I have an account that I'm going to go change my password. Well, they already have that list. They're going to go through and try a whole bunch of other things. Like they're going to get on Facebook and they're going to see if the username and password that they have for you, the email and password they have for you will work on Facebook. If it works on Twitter, if it works on Amazon, and now they've just logged into your Amazon and they can purchase a whole bunch of stuff and have it shipped to, um, you know, uh, well, heck, they can have it shipped to an Amazon locker. It doesn't even have to be shipped to your house. You know, they can have it shipped somewhere else. How about that? You know, when you start thinking of things that way, now you need to, you need a unique password for every site. That's too hard to remember. Uh, and it's the same in our buildings. We shouldn't be able to get on at the bank downtown and then also be able to log into the school and then also be able to log into the fire station and wherever else that your company has accounts. 
So that's one really solid step is take care of your passwords and secure your systems that way just by not being the bottom rung. Don't be the bottom rung on the ladder because the bad guys are kind of inherently lazy. They don't, time is money. So they don't want to work any harder than they have to, to get into a system. If they can access, like, I know the defaults to Delta systems. So if I can find a Delta system online, then I can log into that pretty darn quick, most likely, because everybody pretty much leaves the default user and password in place. So, oops. Um, so what's another step you can take? Uh, stop building flat networks. So what's a flat network? That's where all of your IP controllers have the same subnet. Now that's not subnet mask, that's the subnet. So um, your controllers are all 192.168.1. whatever. That's a network, is the 192.168.1. And then that's your network address. And then the last octet is going to be your uh, device address, your host ID. And, and now that's assuming a, a subnet mask of 255.255.255.0. Um, because what that's doing is basically locking in the first three octets of the IP address as the network segment of that address. So that if everything in on a campus, um, you know, I'm thinking of a, of a past uh, client that I had that was a, a college campus and it was a fairly small college campus to be quite frank, but um, you know, every building had a control, at least one uh, controller in it and that was IP addressed and every one of them had an IP address of 192.168.1. Whatever. They were all on the same network. And so that what that means is quite easily, if I get into one controller, if I plug in, if I can, somebody leaves that closet unplugged and I get in there and I can plug into one switch that's sitting in there, I can get to everything on campus, everything. Um, so that's not, that's not good. That's not what you like. So instead of, um, Instead of using dummy switches, which maybe uh, maybe the next episode should be the difference between uh, hub switches, managed switches, and routers, but instead of using a, a, a switch, maybe use a managed switch or a router and break up your network and make each building its own network. Make it 192.168.1 and then the next building be 192.168.2. And then the next one can be 192.168. Yeah, I heard you say three. I got it. Um, so you understand. And that breaks it up. Now, what's that going to require? It's going to require you to learn some networking. Uh, you're going to have to learn networking to some degree. And then you're going to have to learn to set up the devices that you're using. Um, you know, really good, relatively inexpensive switches and routers come from Ubiquity. Uh, they're fantastic. I, I think they're wonderful. You just got to learn how to set them up. So 
get you a Ubiquiti switch or router and buy the book. Uh, shoot, the title is something to the effect of the unauthorized guide to Ubiquiti switching and routing. Um, I think is the title of it. Cool book, actually. Uh, and that will actually teach you a lot about switching and routing. That book is fantastic. I highly suggest you get it, even if you're not going to be dealing with ubiquity switches and routers. How about that? Um, so that's a great step you can take, too, is to start adding layers to your networks. From there... Um, you know, you could start setting up firewalls if you wanted. You could have, uh, you could basically segment your network, your your layered network from the other, the rest of the IT network by having its own firewall in place if you wanted. Um, you got to talk to the IT group at the building you're in, but that's possible. And if you're installing that, and you know, if you can get that paid for through the account and whatnot, um, the IT group might actually just say, oh, thank you, fantastic. You manage that. I'll give you a drop from your firewall into our network. I'll create your own VLAN, blah, 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 blah. And uh, you get to take care of everything else. They might do that. you know. And if you know how to do that, they're gonna love you. Because you just took a great deal of burden off of them. Uh, what are some other things you can do? You know, there is this thing called micro segmentation, and that's a really kind of a deep. It's um, kind of a deep topic, but it's super cool. And so, if you're at the point where you really want to start getting into this stuff, um, check out like VMware's NXS product and their micro segmentation. They're doing that at uh, Penn State. And that is a very cool use case. So if you uh, if you look up on the old interwebs, uh, Penn State micro segmentation, you, you, there's going to be a couple of cool articles on how they did that, and it'll probably blow your mind a little bit. I know it did me the first couple times I read it. Um, so the basics of it are this, and this is exactly what a, a friend of mine, when I confronted him about this, he 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 doesn't know a lot about buildings but he is one of the world's more famous hackers. Um, I, I talked to him and I said, hey, you know, what, what do I need to do here? How do I help my customers? And his biggest piece of advice was, don't be the bottom rung on the ladder. Don't be the low hanging fruit. Don't be easy to, to get into. Uh, so things like, passwords and not using a flat network and work with your IT group, you know, learn to talk to these guys, uh, learn to speak their language a little bit and don't be so confrontational right off the start. Cause most building automation guys are because most building automation guys don't know beans from apple butter about what the IT guys are doing. That said, the IT guys don't really know what you're doing either. So you're scaring each other. Stop it. Stop scaring each other. Um, and take it upon yourself to learn a little bit more about what they're doing so that you can help them help you. And, you know, that's probably the basics of it for, for security within building automation. Um, I suggest you do those things, learn them, and uh, 
and start implementing this stuff into your your business plan your how your company runs you're going to get resistance because most companies don't think that you need it and i'm here to tell you you do uh intelligent buildings out of charlotte north carolina um it, if you're on LinkedIn, follow them. They post up a lot of really good articles. Uh, Fred Gordy works there, and he's probably uh, probably the leader in cybersecurity in our industry right now. He's probably one of the, he's probably the thought leader. Um, there's some other guys doing some really cool stuff too, but he's probably the top dog. So check out what they're writing. There's stuff coming out like every week from them. Um, actually here lately, intelligent buildings has been putting up something almost every day on, uh, on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of resources out there. The hardest part for me anyway, is being able to consume it all. So get on it and, uh, be responsible for the networks that you're installing. All right, guys, uh, I gotta get going and you probably do too. So until next time, uh, enjoy the drive.